0: Visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210 340 9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome
1: to the show. It's a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, church questions, anything and everything. I'll do the best I can. We need only to have you to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free. At eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. That's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free mobile app. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great weekend in church. We did here yesterday. Uh, We got stuff going on again tonight. Tonight is our men's and women's Bible studies uh, at 7 o'clock, also at the same time, just in a different location. We have our high school and junior high school Bible studies. So you can make it a family affair. And uh, we would enjoy it. Ladies, you can watch at calvaryessay.com. In fact, Paula is teaching tonight, and they Uh, The ladies are teaching through the book of Galatians. So that's all tonight at 7 o'clock. Well, let me get right to some questions that have been sent in, and then we will sort of go for there. Our first one comes from Dale from our mobile app. He says, can you please explain the meaning of 1 Peter 3... 19 and 20 let me read those and then i'm gonna take some time with this dale because this is a passage of scripture that there's all kinds of questions about uh it's one that's been debated for virtually two thousand years uh verse 19 says in whom speaking of christ he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when god waited patiently in the days of noah while the ark was being built, uh, before I get to the explanation, you know one of the fascinating things, Dale, about uh, Noah to me, and I love the questions, is that Noah, we're told in the New Testament, was a preacher of righteousness. Uh, God, you know, in His patience gave uh, mankind a hundred and twenty years. And Noah preached and he worked and he was faithful, and a hundred and twenty years later then came the flood. And you know the tragedy is that nobody believed him. Nobody at all believed him. So let's talk about this these two verses, because um um arguably, uh, this is the most difficult passage of scripture in all of our New Testament. Um, um through chapter four, verse six, um there's just general confusion because there's no consistency. Martin Luther once was quoted as saying, it's so short, this passage of Scripture, more obscure than any other. And then he com- he concludes with this, frankly, I don't know what the apostle meant. So Martin Luther couldn't unravel it. We're probably not going to solve all of the problems either. I'm actually going to go back one verse to to verse 18 to sort of set the context. It says, for Christ died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God he was put to death in the body but made alive by the spirit through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison now uh, in 1st peter he's giving us reasons for our hope the hope that we have in Christ Now, evidently, he says Jesus went in a pre-resurrection state into what we would call Hades. I think the best way uh, to to reference this, Dale, is uh, Luke chapter 16 talks about uh, the abyss in the center of the earth where there's a place that was called paradise, and then across a wide gulch was a a place of torment. And that's where Jesus would have descended to uh, to preach a message to those who were there. Now, the spirits in verse 19 could possibly refer to the spirits of humans, could possibly refer to the spirits of demons. Genesis 6 talks about uh, angels who did not keep their first estate, uh, or even possibly could be speaking of both. Uh, in the early church, and I'm going back as far as the 1st and 2nd century, there was almost universal acceptance that the identity of these spirits could be found in those fallen angels of Genesis chapter 6. Uh, over the, the period of time, uh, that has been challenged because there are just a lot of different opinions about what Genesis chapter 6 even means. Um, but the early church... Uh, believe Peter was referring to them, uh, those fallen angels. So um, that's something you're going to have to decide on your own. Um, the spirits, verse 20 says, were those who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Now, there are some who say this, who use this verse incorrectly to say that the people who died in Noah's flood were given a second chance at salvation by the Lord. That can't be true. So that's certainly not what it means. Sometimes, Dale, you have to go a long route around and find out what something might mean by disqualifying what it can't mean. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says as clearly as you can, it's appointed unto man once to die and then face the judgment. These men who who died in the flood of Noah, they heard the message of Noah He was patient with them. They had a long time to to listen, and they rejected it. They lost their chance. We know that in it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Now, because Noah's called a preacher of righteousness, he preached not just with his work, but he preached with his mouth. Uh, God had already declared that he wouldn't strive with man forever, and God gave mankind 120 years to repent but they refused. Either that or Noah was just a really, really slow ark builder. I don't know what it was. But um, Noah would have had an incredibly difficult time. His family, as he worked for uh, 120 years, uh, the people laughed at him. They would mock him. His family would be outcasts, and they would suffer uh, unjustly. Which is the context of the chapter in First Peter three. I often think of Mrs. Noah and the kids, the the grown kids, of course, at that time, uh, how impossibly difficult and lonely it must have been for them. And yet they were all examples of suffering for doing good. Uh, then one day the Lord told Noah that time was up. It'll rain in seven days. Uh, his family was told to go inside the ark. God sealed the ark. No one could get in or out. And at that point, God prevented entry to outsiders. But by the way, that's exactly what's going to happen in the rapture. Of the church. Once we're gone, it's going to be too late. So he went and preached. Now, what he preached, we don't know. We're not told. But we're certain it was the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, of course, not a second chance gospel message, but a message that God judged them justly, that they had the opportunity, and they missed out. So beyond that, Dale, you've got to go into a lot of detail to come up with something else. But it just means that Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth, and he preached a message of righteousness, and I also believe it was a message of victory. Uh, Just as was promised, this is a message of victory. Good question, Dale. Thank you very, very much. Here is our next question. It comes from Sandy from our email inbox. Uh, He or she says, Pastor Ron, our family was having a discussion the other night. There was conflicting views on who buried Moses. We're looking at Deuteronomy 34, 5 through 7, and Jude 1, verse 9. One person thought it was God, and another thought it was the angels. Thank you for your help. Sandy, the only thing that we know for sure is that it says God himself buried Moses' body. Michael, the archangel, Jude, says... Um, uh, contested with Satan over the, the body, we think that doesn't make a lot of sense, but but we know what would have happened if um, the devil would have would have had access to Moses' body, um, Israel would have worshipped his body. I mean, Moses was the most revered man in Jewish history, and yet God made sure that his body couldn't be found. I had somebody who said, well, if Moses is going to be one of the two witnesses in Revelation, maybe that's why God hid his body. But the the only thing we know for sure is that nobody knows to this day, the day the Bible was written, but also to the day that we live in, uh, what happened to Moses' body. But it was to keep Israel from stumbling. It was to give Joshua the opportunity to... Um, uh, have his own leadership role. Uh, And certainly if they had Moses' body, it would have been a a huge stumbling block uh, for Israel. So that's what it was. Now, um, it's possible when it says God himself buried Moses' body in Deuteronomy 34, it's possible that he, he did it but instructed angels to do it. So that's at least to me, Sandy, the most likely scenario. But this is one of those questions that we're really not gonna have any answers to until we get to heaven. Good for you for having family discussions on this stuff. I really like that. Very good question. 340 9585 for your live calls and questions. Josh says, Uh Pastor on our world is so broken that I can't overcome my sadness. Why did God allow things to get where they are? Josh, two things, as I as I think of your question. It makes my heart sad that you're that sad. You know, we're not built, uh, as humans, we're not built to carry the burdens of the world on us. It's just way too big for us. You know, the government, the Bible says, will be on Jesus' shoulders. It's not on our shoulders. And we look at a broken world, and when we get... Lost into into that kind of sadness because things have fallen apart. Um, we're we're trying to deal with issues that we have absolutely no ability to help with. So here's what I would ask you to do, and I'm going to answer your second question in a moment. But but don't look at the brokenness in the world. God predicted it was going to happen. Second Timothy chapter three, uh, beginning the first verse, talks about how horrible the world's going to be, and we haven't seen anything yet, Josh. But instead of looking out, what I would ask you to do is look up. Instead of looking out, look up. What did Job say? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And uh, his world was worse in terms of being broken personally at that moment. And yet he knew instinctively at the beginning he was a righteous man. He knew to look up. And so instead of looking out at all of the pain... Look up at Jesus, the only one who has the answer for this pain. A day is coming, Josh, when God is going to fix the world. Jesus is going to get up. He's going to call his church to be home with him. We're going to go there. And by the way, time is measured on earth. We'll be with him for seven years. And then after the seven years, we'll come back with him. And Jesus' mission is to fix this world. So that's going to happen. So focus on him. In his presence is the fullness of joy, the psalmist declares. So be in his presence. Just be with Jesus and uh, pray for the things that break your heart. The other thing that you should do is, is share Jesus, the answer to your question, the answer to your hurting heart. Share Jesus with as many people as you possibly can. And in the process of doing that, being obedient to the call that we all have to share the gospel, um, Josh, the power of the Holy Spirit will overcome your own sadness. You know, it's always good when our hearts are tender, when we can be hurt and when we can be sad. But when we allow what we see or what we feel to overwhelm what we know for sure is true, that's when it gets difficult. Now, as to your second question, why did God allow things to get to this point? Um, you know, I, I, we, we don't blame God for this. This is what mankind did. First Peter says that God is patient, unwilling that any should perish. And so God allowing the evil that goes on in this world is simply God waiting for the last Gentile non-Jew to receive the gospel and then things are going to get fixed but it's in his patience i want to personalize this josh for you i'm going to be 31 years old in the lord next month we're getting pretty close to the end of january already um there were a lot of people that were pleading with jesus to come back before i got saved in 1991 so well i want jesus to come back and i'm in a hurry I'm grateful he waited till at least 1991 or I would have been left behind. I would have been lost. So this is the matter of God sort of pulling back and and not being interested in the evil. Remember, Jesus' heart broke. He wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you knew, if you only knew that I'd come to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. That's what Jesus came. Jesus cried, wept bitterly at the tomb of Lazarus. But you see, though his heart was broken, he's more interested in people being saved. So he waits until the appointed time. So this isn't a matter of God not being interested. This is just God working the plan that we know that God has for every single one of us. So Josh, look up. Don't look out so much. Look up. I want to repeat this to you, Josh, and everybody listening Um, if you spend too much time looking around at the condition this world is in, believe me, it's going to overwhelm us all. So here's what you do. You look at Jesus, and you let his presence comfort you, stabilize you, in the time that we have left. Here is a question from Lincoln. He says, I have been divorced for a couple of years, and loneliness is consuming, consuming me, do you have help for me? Lincoln, I do, and you're not going to like it. Um, I'm, I'm sorry you're divorced. I obviously I don't know you, and I don't have any, any background other than what you've just given me. But here's the thing that you need to do. You need to, beginning now, consume your life with Jesus. Let him consume you. Don't focus on being lonely. Don't focus on not having a wife. Instead, focus on Jesus. You know, there's a big difference between being alone and being lonely. And people who are alone, when they're hanging out with Jesus, are not lonely. That doesn't mean they wouldn't like to have human companionship. It just means that, that in the presence of Jesus, they're no longer lonely. Lonely. And Paul seems to suggest, Lincoln, that being in the condition you're in is better because you can devote all of your strength and all of your energy, your prayers, your thoughts to the work that God has called you to. I can tell you one thing for sure. If you want to be remarried, then you're not going to get there by being consumed by loneliness. If you want to be remarried, perhaps it's God who's put that desire in your heart. But what you've got to do is stop focusing on you, start focusing on him, and let him prepare you for the woman out there that he's preparing for you. And then if that's not God's will and his will is for you to be single, maybe you didn't tell me, but maybe you got divorced and had no biblical grounds. Maybe you were the one who violated your marriage covenant. Who knows? Maybe because sin has consequences, this is one of those consequences. But the only way I'm going to, or the only way you're going to know for sure, Lincoln, is to make sure that you're spending time with Jesus and your whole life is committed and submitted to his will for your life. Get involved in your church. Serve. Um, take a step of faith. Come out of your comfort zone. Certainly not something to talk about your loneliness when you meet new people. Talk about Jesus and get involved. I'm not a fan, Lincoln, of, of singles groups at churches. You know, it's not our job to, to accommodate uh, people that want dates or, or, or relationships. Um, but you, if this desire to be married is from the Lord... What better place to find somebody to spend the rest of your life with than at church serving God together? But to be consumed, your focus is all in the wrong place. Sort of like the earlier caller or the earlier question who said that he was um, sad, de- desperately sad. So, Lincoln, you can be alone and not be Lonely, my pastor, before he died, and went to be with Jesus. He was asked that question one day, and when I was at Bible college, he said, uh, Pastor Chuck, being a pastor, I'm told is lonely. What do you do when you get lonely and And Chuck looked at him and he, he was really confused. You could see the the look on his face. He said, Well, how can I be lonely? I'm with Jesus." And Lincoln, that's what we need to focus on. We've got five minutes left in this half of the program. Gilbert says, Reading my Bible has always been a source of frustration for me. How can I stay focused this year? Um, Gilbert, write this down. This is just for you. Dear Gilbert, from Jesus, discipline yourself. That's all. Discipline yourself. Self control is a fruit of the Spirit. Get in the Spirit. And obviously you have a hunger to read the Word because you keep being frustrated because you can't. So discipline yourself. Just decide that you're going to set aside. And start with a half hour. You're going to set aside a half hour every day. And when you set aside that half hour, keep your phone away from you. Don't have radio or television or anything else. No other conversation with any other human. Read the Bible to yourself out loud. That'll help keep you focused. And just do it. And as you're beginning to read, say, Jesus, I want to hear from you. And just read it. Just read it. Now, read it systematically so you can get invested in in a story or in a chapter or whatever the, the, the book that you intend to be reading is. But just discipline yourself to do it. If you have to go to bed earlier, to get up earlier, whatever it is, in the morning, get up and spend, start with a half hour. I promise you, if you will be faithful for a couple weeks, and there's going to be all kinds of spiritual warfare. The devil doesn't want you to. He's going to bring all kinds of thoughts to your mind. But you just sit there with your Bible open. And you work hard at reading it. Read it out loud, as I said. I promise you, your appetite is going to grow for the Word. Your appetite is going to grow. And as you get a hunger for the Word, Jesus will meet you there. And when He starts meeting you there, He will reward your obedience. He will reward your discipline. And when He does, and He begins to meet with you, It will change everything, Gilbert, and here's what's going to happen. Reading the Bible rather than being frustrating will be something that you look forward to doing. And here's something else, I promise. If you start with a half hour, uh, it won't be long before you're reading much, much more. And you're doing it because you want to. Not because you have to or because you feel guilty if you don't, but because you want to. Please, please, please read it. Just discipline yourself to do it. Gilbert, you don't tell me how old you are. I'm assuming you're a grown man. Discipline. Here's a question. Last one of this half. Norman says, What authority does a pastor have biblically over the people in his congregation? Norman, the answer is zero. I'm a pastor. And I have zero authority. Now, I hope that I have built up equity in the hearts and minds of the people in the church, especially those who've been coming for Uh, many, many, many years. Um, So I, I hope they're listening to me, and I hope and pray that I teach with authority. But in terms of me having authority over the people's lives, I have absolutely none. Truth is, most of the time, especially during counseling sessions, people don't do what I say. When I'm teaching a Bible study, probably half the time, if not more, the people don't do what I tell them to do. So, why would I want to exercise any authority over their lives? I try, Norman, not to give people any advice or suggestions unless or until they ask for it. And when I see they're not listening or they don't have any intention of doing what I tell them to do, then pretty much it's a short conversation. But nobody has to come to me and ask who they should marry or if they can marry or if they can buy a house, or that kind of thing we have no authority at all. We're simply under shepherds for Jesus Christ. Well, we would love your calls. The phones are quiet again today, 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes.
0: Welcome back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
1: welcome back to the program 340-9585 for your calls here is a really good question from phil He says, Pastor I was baptized as a child, but it never really changed me. Now, as an adult, I've had a life-changing experience and genuinely have repented of my sins. Should I be baptized again? Yes, 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 a thousand times yes. And not only that, Phil, God bless you. Because until we've genuinely repented of our sins, we haven't really met Jesus. What happened to you is you got born again. And what a wonderful time in your life to do it. So, yes, you should be baptized. Now, baptism is nothing more than a public declaration of our faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. Well, basically, that's what baptism does. And this uh, desire to be baptized again, Phil, is perfectly representative of your experience um we we put people down in the water it's bearing the old fill and then when we let them up it's raising the new fill and the resurrection power of jesus christ and uh, you're you're letting people know that um uh, my my life my heart my soul my strength and my mind belong to jesus and that is a public declaration of your faith. And yes, you ought to do it again. God bless you. Congratulations on your your life-changing experience on being born again. And uh, Phil, symbolically, I'll be there with you when you get baptized again. Uh, one of the real great things that I have the privilege of being able to do many, many, many times now uh, is... Um, take people like Phil and join with them in that celebration of their faith in Christ uh, by being baptized. It's a great, great thing. Good, good, good for you, Phil. Here's a question from Millie. She says, is someone with chronic illness still expected to serve God? She says, I have no strength or energy. Millie, the answer is yes, you're still required or expected, I guess is a better way to say it. Expected to serve God. And this, uh, even you asking the question, I don't know whether you're asking because Satan's trying to make you feel guilty. If if that's the case, then just ignore him. Or maybe it's just because you have that desire I want to serve God. And that's probably the case. And there's so much you can do, even with little strength or energy. You can pray. Millie, someone in your condition... Uh, can be a prayer warrior. And you can have people that um, in your church, uh, just just let them know that I, I, I can't do much physically, but I can pray. And you want to talk about a life that is meaningful and passionate. A life that is bathed in the power of the Holy Spirit. When you are praying, really, you are serving the body of Christ and Jesus is so pleased. Now, Please don't misunderstand me. He gets that you're sick, but he wants to serve. He wants you to serve because that's what we're created to do. We don't do well when we're idle. The enemy is going to pound, and he doesn't care. The enemy doesn't care that you're chronically ill or that you have no strength or energy. He's going to do the best he can to keep you in a place where you're really not doing anything fruitful for the Lord. So here's what you do. You pray. Start there. But here's something else, Millie. This is a source of prayer uh, on your own behalf. Just say, Jesus, you know I have no strength or energy. But if you give me strength, if you give me energy, then I'll use that energy for you. And believe me, many, many times God answers that prayer. I'm sorry you're chronically ill. But remember, we were born to serve the Lord. So you find the place that you can serve. God needs you, and and His church needs you. And sometimes you just got to tough it out and let the power of the Holy Spirit take over. That's the way to do it, Millie. Appreciate it very, very much. We've had so many... Uh, in our body, uh, Millie, who've gone through the same thing. Um, we had a lady who, uh, um, she's just one of the happiest. She had to move to Denver, but she's one of the happiest, most potted people in the world. And she, there's not a day of her life that isn't racked with pain. And she's singing and she's always telling people about Jesus. She'll walk if she can and talk to her neighbors. But she was always praying for people. We've had uh, other women who who um, just deal with so much physically. Uh, we have a man in our church who has chronic back issues and is always in pain, and you can see it. But he's just decided that he's going to serve with whatever he strength he has for as long as he has it. And when that's the case, um, you know what? You look at him and his heart is still filled with joy. Uh, another uh, older woman, and and I say older, she's younger than I am, but She's an older woman, and she's been serving with kids um, for more than 20 years here. And she deals with all kinds of physical issues. My point in all of that, Millie, is that you're not alone. God, Paul describes him as the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Uh, That's the beauty of a body. Millie, get involved in your church and you're going to find people who can hold you up. People that will come alongside and share with you what God has done for them. And God will turn you into one of those people who can minister to others in your same circumstance. Very, very important, Millie. God wants you to serve because that's what we were created to do. Thank you for the question, Millie. You know, yesterday um, uh, at church, one of the things I talked about was the value of being involved in a body, Uh, the fellowship of the saints, uh, why it's so important that we get involved. We don't sort of pull back because of these things. And uh, I just described for Millie uh, why that's so important. So just get involved and yes, 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 serve. We're all expected to serve. I always say, Millie, not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit, in your name and for your glory. And God is always faithful to extend a hand to us. And when he does that, we find out that we have strength and energy that we didn't know was available to us. Pamela asks, and I've never been asked this question before. That doesn't happen very often. Pamela says, is bodybuilding or posing okay for a Christian woman? Um Pamela it is in fact we had a, a a woman in our body oh I don't know 12 years or so ago uh, who was a bodybuilder and she actually asked me that question um because um she was kind of struggling with it maybe somebody said something to her you know modesty which is the the standard for christian women modesty changes from location to location, from event to event. Um, If you were posing um, in a mall, that would not be modest. It wouldn't be appropriate. But if you're at a bodybuilding event, well, everybody's dressed the same way, so it's perfectly appropriate. So, yes, uh, I would say it is okay for a Christian woman. Two things, Pamela. First, be sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. Check your motives. Vanity is a really, really powerful enemy. And uh, I've known lots of bodybuilders. And I didn't know many of them who um, who weren't vain. Uh, so just make sure your heart is okay. Why are you doing this? And if it's to be healthy, if it's something that is just a, a great hobby or or for some even a career uh, then be the best you can at it no problem just be healthy do it right above board watch what you put into your body the second thing here to understand is that god has people everywhere pamela so um use your platform as a bodybuilder to tell people about jesus what a great opportunity to witness! I, many many years ago, I had a, um, and, and when I say he's a friend, he wasn't really a friend, more of an acquaintance. Um, but he was a, a born again Christian long before I was. He actually got famous, and won the Kentucky Derby. Uh, he actually ended up winning several, but but he won the Kentucky Derby, and uh, when the the outrider came up at the end of the race, and you know they always interviewed the jockey of the winning horse coming back to the the paddock. Um, uh, he, he they asked him for a comment, and he he just quoted Romans eight twenty eight. God has people everywhere, and people say, "Well, you can't be a a, a Christian and be a, a, in horse racing and gambling." He was, and he loved God with all of his heart. Well, the same thing is true uh, with bodybuilding, of course. Uh, God has people everywhere. Pamela, you might be one of those people, so be free to enjoy. Uh, and do all things as unto the Lord, and you will be fine and if any other Christian sort of tries to to mess with you, just tell them um, i'm free in Christ, it is for freedom we have been set free galatians five one says and enjoy three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six three zero k s l r uh, this is an anonymous question who says, how should we react when we see a trans person? Um, anonymous, I assume, you how should we Christians react? We should be kind. We should be uh, positive. And by that, I mean our joy ought to be evident to them. Um, we should be not only polite, but kind um, rather than look at people like they're broken or like they're weird, um, just be nice. Now that doesn't mean we have to compromise and agree that what they're doing is right. Um, you know, we know biblically there's no such thing as a trans person. We've got gender identity, people with gender identity confusion, but but there's no real trans person. A boy is a boy and a girl is a girl, and that never changes regardless of what we identify as. So what we want to do is we want to have a position where they know that that, that what we're saying to them or what we're doing for them is coming out of a kind, loving heart. And we want the opportunity to share Jesus with them. But when we react like they disgust us, or if we react in anger, or if we react rudely, Uh, then we're misrepresenting Jesus. I think the thing to remember is Jesus really loves everybody, even the people that we have a hard time loving. And we want to be like Jesus. So that's the place where you immediately begin praying for that person. It's hard to be rude to somebody when you're praying for them. And, you know, we can pray in an instant. We can throw up the flare prayers when we see somebody and we're caught off guard a little bit. We can say, you know what? God, you love them. I pray they would know you. And just ask God to bless them. Let the Holy Spirit use you in that case. But we don't have the right to be rude to anybody, not to anyone. And so we don't want to be those Christians that point and, and judge and all those things. Now, it's perfectly okay if somebody says, well, do you think that that I'm a boy who's, who's really a woman and, and that's okay? You can say, no, I don't. And we can be honest, we're created in the image of God. And you're trying to recreate God in your image and hoping this is okay. It's not. But here's what I can tell you. God loves you. And he can fix this if you'll give him the opportunity. But you've got to know Jesus Christ. But you do that from a position of being kind. We have to be careful because we see things that are frankly, so sinful. It's hard to react sometimes to control our reaction, but we've got to learn to do that for sure. Jerry says, can a Christian's name be blotted out of the Lamb's book? Jerry, I don't have a chapter and verse here just because I'm having a hard time seeing today. Um, but in Jesus' seven letters uh, in the book of Revelation, he says that he will not ever, it's a very strong, urgent word in the Greek, uh, he will never, ever, ever blot someone's name out of the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. So uh, you can't do things to get your name blotted out or erased. Uh, no, we are, when we give our heart to Jesus Christ, if we're really born again. Then we are safe and secure in the arms of Jesus. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. And the fact that he says uh, it's Revelation chapter three verse five is the is the uh, passage. Jerry, uh, he doesn't say. Uh, well, I do. Uh, I do sometimes blot people's names out, but I'll never blot your name out. No, he doesn't say that. It's a very strong um, statement of security. And no, our, our names can never be blotted out. God gives. Um, it's, we love the world so much. He gave his only son. Um, he doesn't take us back. He, he doesn't unsave us. So, Jerry, relax. No matter what you do, if you belonged to him, you always will. And all you have to do is remember to repent, confess your sins, First John 1, 9. And he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. And then you're every bit as much his as you ever were. So, I hope that helps. Here's a question from Dennis. I haven't had this question for a long time. Uh, can you tell me about King James only people? Um, Dennis, I can tell you that in terms of the intellectual honesty, they're not. Uh, either that or they're not able to reason through the problems like this. For those who say uh, the King James is the only authorized Bible, um, I mean, that would require us to come to the conclusion that, well, before 1611, there was never an authorized Bible, never a, a Bible that was the Word of God. Uh, what about all those people who were born before 1611? 1611. So, uh, the King James is a wonderful translation, and I love it. Um, Most of my scripture memory comes from the King James. That's a Bible that I used um, exclusively at the beginning of my walk with the Lord. And its language is so um, uh, different that it's it's easier to remember. Um, But there are many, many really good translations. So, find a translation that you'll read... Um, pick it up and read it, and God will minister to you. When you come across somebody who is a King James only person, it's typically they're stuck in, in uh, hyper charismatic churches or fundamentalist churches. And fundamentalist is not a bad word, but only when it goes over into legalism. And uh, and again, they're not honest with their scholarship. Um, um, usually, those are very unhealthy, out of balance churches. And so, Dennis, you asked what about King James-only people? I would say pray for them. But but there, there's not a case that can be made at all that the uh, King James is the only authorized Bible. Um, Gail Ripplinger, I think, was the, the, the person's name who wrote the book uh, that kind of sparked this whole King James-only um, group um, and this book now is probably 25 years old or more. Uh, and and it's just really, it reeks of, of poor scholarship. So I hope that makes sense to you. Maya says, Pastor Ron, what's the best way to split my tithes and offerings between different groups? Well, Maya, I'm going to give you an answer from, from my perspective, the biblical perspective. Tithing, you know, is not a New Testament concept at all. I know people say it is uh, because it predates the law uh, and and then and, and, and it, it's it's a, a guideline for us in the New Testament and Jesus said we should tithe but they're not reading it correctly they're not reading it in context the the tithe was a part of the law Jews were required to tithe 10% but they were required to do it three times for different reasons and the idea was um, this is the way to give to the work of God. As New Testament Christians, Maya, um, we offer from a generous heart, from a cheerful heart, we're to offer everything to the Lord. Now, He's going to let you keep most of it. But the idea is, under law, they gave 10%. How much more should we who are under grace give? So I had to do that because I'm going to throw out the word ties now, Completely, and just talk about your offerings. We give of our free will offerings joyfully to the Lord, and the way you split it between different groups is to do whatever it is you feel led by the Holy Spirit to do. Having said that, Maya, the first fruits of all of your giving ought to be to your local church. It ought to be to your local church. And when we give, we don't put contingencies on it we don't direct our giving we give to the church that we are a part of that we're either members of or or, or the place where we're being fed and we trust that the leadership there is going to do the work it, it's really difficult for for pastors uh, when people come in and they want to control their giving that's not free will offering. Um, that's just trying to be in control and that's never the way we should do it. It's not our money to begin with. Now, if you're going to a church that is, is being irresponsible or uh, a church that is misusing uh, your your offerings, well, then maybe it's time to look for another church. But the one thing that you want to do, Maya, is you want to be used by the Lord to help support your local body. Now, over and above whatever the Lord is leading you to give to your church, if you want to give to other people, you can do that anyway. There are times when I've, I've been asked by people in the church, i have a neighbor who's really down and out. It, would it be okay if I gave my offerings to them? And I say, of course it is. It's God's money. He's given you stewardship over it. So whatever he, you feel like he's leading you to do, of course you can do that. And wonderful opportunities when you're helping people to share Jesus with them. So you can do whatever you want. Uh, if you want to give to a radio program or you want to uh, give to a, 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 a non-profit charity who's doing work that's close to your heart, my, you can do all of those things. Uh, all you have to do is just give with a generous heart. Uh, God will bless. Proverbs 11 says a generous man or woman. So Maya, I hope that answers your question. Well, one more question. We didn't get any calls today. Hope everybody's out there and okay. Here's a question from Avery. When God doesn't heal terminally ill believers, can we say that death is the ultimate healing? Yeah, we can say that, Avery, and we who are believers, we understand that, but the world sort of is not going to buy that. Uh I think that the question to ask is why do we have any expectation that God is going to heal terminally ill believers? Or even or or even that he should. Uh we pray for healing. We want people to be healed. Um however, um death has a perfect record up to now. And The fact is, we're all going to die unless, except for those of us who are raptured before our time is up. Um, And and yes, you're right. Death is the ultimate healing. Um, But but probably we want to be more honest, more candid than that. Um, Just say, here's what I know now. I know that this person that we loved is now resting in the presence of Jesus. And especially if you're talking to unbelievers, you can use that as an opportunity to share the Jesus that, that this loved one is in the presence of right now. Uh, Avery, I always like to go to Romans or I'm sorry Revelation chapter one, beginning in verse 10, and read to people the description of Jesus um, but but there's no guarantee that anybody's going to get healed. This is not a faith issue, that the the prosperity, health, and wealth churches are doing so much damage. But we can really say that someone who dies as a born-again believer has been completely healed of the only 100% fatal disease, the disease of sin, and now their tired bodies, their broken bodies, are now new and glorious physical resurrected bodies so Avery yes it's it's what you said is accurate um, but, I, but I think it misses the point of the people who would ask that question Avery thank you well we are done for today may the Lord bless you and keep you remember our evening Bible studies tonight men's, women's and youth at 7 o'clock here at the church may the Lord bless you and keep you Lord willing I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock see you then